0: Chapter 3. Noteworthy Prayers in the Bible The Bible is filled with excellent examples of prayer. By reading the prayers of others, and considering the context, we can get a better sense of how to approach our own prayers to God. Below are a handful of examples for your reference, provided in chronological order. Moses prays for a heart of wisdom. Psalm 90 Nestled in the middle of the book of Psalms is one subtitled, somewhat unexpectedly, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. In this prayer, Moses reflected on God's infinite nature and man's brief existence. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, Psalm 90 verse 4. And yet the human lifespan is like grass which grows up, in the morning it flourishes and grows up, in the evening it is cut down and withers, verses 5-6. through six. With that in mind, Moses asks for God to teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom, verse 12. The more we understand the brevity of the human condition compared to God's eternal and immortal nature, the more eagerly we will pray for God to satisfy us early with your mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days, verse 14. Hannah prays for a child, 1 Samuel 1, verse 11. For a long time, Hannah was unable to have children because the Lord had closed her womb. 1 Samuel 1 verse 5. Her husband, Elkanah, was concerned for Hannah, but unable to cheer her up. Verse 8. Elkanah's other wife, Peninnah, took pleasure in tormenting Hannah, probably because Elkanah showed favoritism toward Hannah. Verses 4 through 6. Hannah's heartfelt prayer was recorded in a single verse. She prayed, in bitterness of soul, while she wept in anguish. Verse 10. She promised God that if he would allow her to have a son, She would dedicate that son to God's service in the temple, verse 11. God answered Hannah's prayer and gave her Samuel, Hebrew for heard by God, who became a very important leader of Israel and prophet of God. Hannah's willingness to follow through on her end of her vow, lending Samuel to God's service, speaks a great deal of her character and trust in God. Hannah has a second noteworthy prayer in 1 Samuel 2, verses 1-10, through where she praises God for answering her initial prayer. Jabez prays to not cause pain. 1 Chronicles 4, 9-10 Jabez shows up for two short verses in a chapter of genealogies. We know nothing about him except that he was named Jabez, Hebrew for he will cause pain, after his mother said, because I bore him in pain. 1 Chronicles 4, 9 His short prayer, that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain, verse 10, was focused on his desire to not live up to his name. We're simply told that God granted him what he requested, verse 10. Although Jabez's story is a short one, God inspired it to be added in the middle of a genealogy, preserved forever in the pages of the Bible. These two verses are a reminder that we are not fated to become what others expect us to be, and that God is more than capable of guiding us into a far greater destiny. David's Prayers of Reflection, Repentance, and Praise A Prayer of Reflection, Psalm 23 Psalm 23 is so well known that it's possible to read over the words without paying much attention to what they're saying. In this psalm, David addressed God as the loving shepherd who protects and guides him through all of life's dangers and trials. We can learn to view God the same way. Although David experienced God's goodness in this life, he ended the psalm with his desire to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 23, verse 6 A Prayer of Repentance, Psalm 51 When David wrote Psalm 51, he was crawling back from a very dark place. He had committed adultery with the wife of one of his most loyal soldiers, and to cover up that sin, he orchestrated that soldier's death in an ongoing conflict. Psalm 51 offers a great deal of insight into what godly repentance looks like. David came to God with a repentant attitude in verses 16-17. through He acknowledged his sins in verses 3, 4, and 14, and he sought to be made clean and whole in verses 1 through 2 and 7 through 9, and asked for God's help in changing his ways in verses 10 through 13. Hopefully, our prayers of repentance will never need to be over something so serious. But whatever our sins, there is comfort in knowing that when God forgives us, we shall be clean and whiter than snow. Verse 7. A prayer of praise. Psalm 139 David wrote many psalms of praise, but Psalm 139 is one of the most encouraging. This is a prayer we can look at to find hope and perspective even during our most difficult trials. David knew that there was no place on earth where God was powerless to save him from trouble, verses 7-12, through 12, and no part of himself that God did not intimately understand, verses 1-6. God was his maker and designer, verses 13-16, through 16, He affirmed his hatred of everything that God hates in verses 19 through 22, rejoiced in God's thoughts and care in verses 17 through 18, and invited God to inspect and correct his heart while leading him in the way everlasting, verses 23 through 24. Solomon prays for God's special attention, 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 22 through 60, and 2 Chronicles 6, verses 12 through 42. David had intended to build a permanent temple for God. But David was a man of war who had shed a great deal of blood, and so God forbade it. However, God promised that David's son Solomon would build that temple. During the dedication of the temple, Solomon praised God. You have kept what you promised your servant David my father. You have both spoken with your mouth and fulfilled it with your hand, as it is this day. 2 Chronicles 6.15 Solomon knew that the temple was inadequate to house God's true glory and form, see verse 18, but he prayed that your eyes may be opened toward this temple, day and night, toward the place where you said you would put your name, verse 20, and more specifically, that he would hear the supplications of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place, verse 21. When Solomon finished his prayer, God answered in a powerful way. Fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. When all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, and his mercy endures forever. Second Chronicles 7 verses 1-3 through Hezekiah's Prayers for Deliverance and Healing for deliverance from Sennacherib, 2 Kings 19, verses 15-19, 2 Chronicles 32, verses 20-21, through and Isaiah 37, verses 16-20. When the Assyrians came to invade the kingdom of Judah, King Sennacherib of Assyria mocked Judah for trusting in God, warning the people, No god of any nation or kingdom was able to deliver his people from my hand or the hand of my fathers. How much less will your God deliver you from my hand? 2 Chronicles 32 verse 15 The part of King Hezekiah's prayer for his people that was recorded for us is short but effective. He took the letter full of taunts and threats, laid it before God, and prayed that God would intervene and rescue the nation from the terrible fate before them. He closed by asking God to make His divine might obvious to everyone involved. Now therefore, O Lord our God, I pray, save us from His hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God, you alone. 2 Kings 19 verse 19 God did exactly that. Then the Lord sent an angel who cut down every mighty man of valor, leader, and captain in the camp of the king of Assyria. So he returned shamefaced to his own land. And when he had gone into the temple of his God, some of his own offspring struck him down with the sword there. And many brought gifts to the Lord at Jerusalem and presents to Hezekiah, king of Judah, so that He was exalted in the sight of all nations thereafter. Second Chronicles 32, verses 21 and 23. Parallel accounts tell us that God struck down 185,000 troops in a single night, far more soldiers than Judah could have possibly defended against in its weakened and besieged state. This prayer reminds us that nothing is beyond God's ability. And that we will never find ourselves in a situation where he is powerless to help us. For healing from a fatal illness, 2 Kings 20, verses 2 through 3, Isaiah 38, verses 2 through 3. God sent Isaiah the prophet to tell King Hezekiah, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Isaiah 38, verse 1. In response, Hezekiah, who was sick and near death, turned his face toward the wall. Verse 2. And prayed a simple prayer. Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart, and have done what is good in your sight. Verse three. God answered quickly through Isaiah, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears. Surely I will add to your days fifteen years. I will deliver you and the city from the kings of Assyria, and I will defend this city. Verses five through six. God gave Hezekiah 15 extra years of life simply because Hezekiah asked for it. While God doesn't answer all prayers this way, it's encouraging to know that he can and does adjust portions of his plans for the sake of his people. After his miraculous healing and recovery, Hezekiah wrote a psalm of praise, recorded in verses 10 through 20 of Isaiah 38. Daniel's Prayer in Spite of Persecution, Daniel 6, verse 10. When the Medo-Persians conquered the Babylonians, Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and the satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. Daniel 6 verse 3. His fellow governors and the satraps below them were extremely jealous and looked for a way to remove Daniel from the picture. When they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, verse 4, they resorted to schemes and manipulation. They convinced the king to make prayer temporarily illegal, knowing that Daniel would never stop praying to his God. They were right. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Verse 10. We don't know what Daniel prayed. The important detail here is that he prayed even knowing it could mean death. The rest of the story reveals how God intervened and rescued Daniel. But one lesson we can extract here is that no threat, however real, should be enough to scare us away from coming before God with our prayers. Nehemiah's Prayer to be Remembered by God, Nehemiah chapter 13. In the last chapter of Nehemiah's account, the governor of Jerusalem records the various reforms he enacted to try and keep his people on the path of righteousness. Even though the people had returned from exile in Babylon, it was still all too easy for them to drift away from God's commandments and instructions. Over and over again, Nehemiah found himself enforcing those commandments and steering the people away from decisions that would end only in spiritual disaster. Over and over again, as he recounted these events, he punctuated them with an earnest request. Remember me, O my God. Nehemiah chapter 13 verses 14, 22, and 31. Nehemiah had done his best to lead and govern God's people. At the end of it all, his request was this, Remember me, O my God, for good. Mary's Prayer of Praise and Rejoicing Luke 1, 46-55 When the angel Gabriel greeted Mary, he told her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Luke 1, verse 28 Mary was chosen by God to give birth to the Word of God made human, Jesus Christ Himself. Her prayer of praise is recorded in the same chapter and is filled with allusions to important Old Testament passages while acknowledging, He who is mighty has done great things for me. Verse 49. Mary knew that her child would be prophetically significant, but she didn't yet understand the full scope of who the Son of God truly was. Even so, she expressed a humble willingness to be part of God's plan in verse 38, praised Him for regarding the lowly state of His maidservant in verse 48, and looked ahead to the way God was about to help His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Verses 54-55 to 55. Parables about prayer The friend at midnight, Luke 11, 5-8 When the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray in Luke 11 verse 1, Jesus gave them a version of the model prayer, verses 2 through 4, and then asked a question. Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, Though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Verses 5-8 God is obviously not the same as a friend who can't be bothered to get out of bed and lend a hand. But this example reminds us that if persistence can get a begrudging friend to help us, how much more valuable is persistence in praying to God, who loves us and wants good things for us? Jesus continued, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Verses 9-10 through The Persistent Widow Luke 18, verses 1-8 through This parable is prefaced with the comment that Jesus spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Luke 18, verse 1 He told the story of a widow who was trying to get justice from a corrupt judge who neither feared God nor respected man. Verse 2 ESV Initially, the judge refused to do the right thing, but the widow wouldn't give up. She kept asking and asking and asking until the judge broke down and said, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Verses four through five ESV. And then Jesus asked the question that this parable hinges around. If even a corrupt and unjust judge can be persuaded to give justice through persistence, will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Verses seven through eight ESV. We can count on God to give us justice in the right time and in the right way. But while we wait, we always ought to pray and not lose heart. The Pharisee and the Tax Collector, Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. This parable was directed at those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others, Luke 18, verse 9. It contrasts two different characters a Pharisee, a Jew who served as a spiritual leader, and a tax collector a Jew who was hated and reviled by his countrymen for working with the Roman oppressors to take money from his fellow Jews. Both of these men went up to the temple to pray in verse 10. The Pharisee, who would have appeared to be the more righteous of the two men, went on to pray, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector, verse 11, then proceeded to brag about his righteous habits. The tax collector who probably looked like the spiritual villain of the story, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Verse 13. Jesus explained that only the tax collector went down to his house justified. Verse 14. The Pharisee had an inflated sense of self. He came to brag to God about his own greatness. Only the tax collector came before God with a humble attitude and a willingness to admit his faults. The lesson for us? Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Verse 14. When we come before the God of the universe, we ought to do so in humility, not pride. Jesus' prayer for unity before his crucifixion. John chapter 17. Just before his crucifixion, Jesus prayed to God the Father for himself, for His immediate disciples, and for all those who had one day become His disciples. In this prayer, we are given special insight into what was on the mind of our Savior just before His death. His desire was to return to the glory He had with God before the world was, John 17, verse 5. He desired that God would protect those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are, verse 11, that they also may be sanctified by the truth, verse 19, and that Those who will believe in me may be one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. Verses 20-21. through He continued, And the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Verses 22-24 Even with his own physical death just hours away, what dominated Christ's thoughts was the future of his disciples. He was eager for the day when they, when we, will join him in the glory he shares with the Father. Paul asked, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Romans 8.35 Paul's answer in verses 38-39 through is that nothing can, and reading through Jesus' prayer will remind us of this fact. Another important facet of this prayer focuses on the role of a disciple. Jesus said, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. John 17, verses 15 through 18. Although our relationship with God and his truth sets us apart from the world around us, we still live and operate in it. By remaining in the world while not being of the world, we remain an example to the world in order that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Verse 23. We are here quite simply because we have a job to do to grow and develop as Christians, to support the work of preaching the gospel, and to live as representatives of our Savior, no matter the condition of the world around us. The Apostles' Prayers for Guidance and Boldness A Prayer for Guidance, Acts 1, 24-25 When Christ's disciples realized that God intended for someone to replace Judas Iscariot as one of the twelve apostles, they prayed for God's guidance in selecting that replacement. In that prayer, they referred to God as cardionosta, literally, the heart-knower. That title reflects the important truth that God told Samuel. The Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. The disciples knew that only God could see the hearts of the proposed replacements. Only God could show them who was the right choice for that position. This prayer also has the distinction of being the last recorded prayer before the pouring out of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2 verses 1 through 4 and the last time God's people are shown casting lots for guidance, Acts 1.26. A Prayer for Boldness, Acts 4 verses 24 through 31. When the chief priests attempted to squash the fledgling Christian religion by commanding the apostles not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus, Acts 4 verse 18, Peter and John joined the other disciples in praying for the boldness to do just the opposite, that God would grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus, verses 29 through 30. At the end of that prayer, God gave a quick and affirmative answer. The place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Verse 31. When others seek to silence God's message, we can turn to God for the strength to share it louder than ever before. Stephen's Prayer for the Murderous Crowd, Acts 7, verses 59-60. through Stephen gave his short prayer as he was being murdered by his countrymen. Stephen was one of seven believers who were ordained by the apostles as deacons seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Acts 6 verse 3. Being full of faith and power, Stephen did great wonders and signs among the people. Verse 8. There were many Jews who pushed back against the idea of Jesus Christ being both the long-awaited Messiah and the Son of God. And although they argued with Stephen, they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Verse 10. Instead, They planted false witnesses to spread false rumors about Stephen's teachings and stirred up the people, the elders, and the scribes. And they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. Verse 12. On trial for his life, Stephen gave a powerful speech chronicling Israel's history as a stubborn and disobedient nation, closing with a stinging rebuke. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, You always resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did, so do you. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you have now become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. Acts 7 verses 51 through 53. It was more than the crowd was willing to put up with. They were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. Verse 54. When Stephen announced, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God, verse 56, the crowd rushed at him, threw him outside the city, and pelted him with stones until he died. In his final moments, Stephen called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, verse 59, and then finally, Lord, do not charge them with this sin, verse 60. Jesus said, Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use and persecute you. Matthew 5.44 It can be a challenge to follow those words in the best of times, but Stephen did it with his final breath, moments before his lifeless body collapsed to the ground. Lord, do not charge them with this sin. If we were in Stephen's shoes, could we have prayed those same words? Cornelius's Continued Prayers to God. Acts 10 verses 1-6 When God chose to reveal that he was calling the Gentiles, non-Israelites, into his church, he used Cornelius to send that message. Cornelius was a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. Acts 10 verses 1-2 through 2. Despite not being a Jew himself, And as a Roman soldier, likely despised by some of the Jews, Cornelius feared God, served the poor, and prayed always. God sent an angel to tell Cornelius, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God, verse four, and directed him to speak with the apostle Peter. Through a complicated series of events, including a vision in verses nine through 17, and the pouring out of God's Holy Spirit in verses 44 through 48, God made it clear to the early church that God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life, Acts 11, verse 18. Up until Cornelius, the church was primarily composed of Jewish believers. Jewish Christians did not understand that God would be calling Gentiles. And in all likelihood, the idea of serving alongside the Jews as spiritual equals wasn't something the Gentiles were seeking either. Cornelius probably wasn't looking to play any kind of special role. He was just seeking a relationship with God. But his dedication to God, his service toward others, and his constant prayers made him the perfect candidate for revealing this next phase of God's plan. God was always going to bring the Gentiles into the church, but it didn't have to be through Cornelius. When we establish a dedicated, focused relationship with God through prayer, there's no telling what he might choose to use us for, either.